today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. There's a lot of feel-good gospel out there. Pastors who are telling their congregations what the people want to hear instead of what the people need to hear. And what we all need to hear is that we all have a serious wound called sin. And we all need a trauma center now. And the only physician who can save us is Jesus. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Jeremiah. Many people have bought into the idea that the goodness in mankind can overpower the evil that we see in our world. We think we can fix our problems if we just unite and come up with solutions. As good as that sounds, it's a flawed way of thinking. As Pastor Gary will explain in today's message, there's only one solution for the evil that plagues humanity. It's not political power. It's not uniting all religions. It's only Christ. He's the only one that can bring true, lasting peace and unity. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 6, as he continues his message, A Serious Wound. They're like, oh, come on. No problem is going to happen. No devastation from the north. It's no big deal. And so they, they completely don't take it seriously, and, and they write off the whole warning. And so it's falling on deaf ears. Jeremiah's words are falling on deaf ears. Jump over to chapter 6 now, if, if you would, with me. Chapter 6 of Jeremiah. And, and he says as much, how, it, how it's all falling on deaf ears. Chapter 6, verse 10. Chapter 6, 10. He says, to whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Jeremiah says, they're they're not taking me seriously. They've just closed off their ears. They're not listening. Keep there in chapter 6. Jump ahead to verse 13. And this is where we're going to really focus the rest of our study. He says in verse 13, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike. All practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. Jeremiah says to us that the conditions were so bad in that day that even the spiritual leaders, the prophets, and the priests among them are deceiving the people 
and giving them a false sense of security. These false prophets and these deceiving priests were going around telling people, it's no big deal. Our sin is is not as bad as people are making it out to be. Peace, peace, love, harmony, it's all good. And they're they're even putting coexist bumper stickers on the back of their chariots. (laughs) And that's just their mentality. They're just like, it's all good. We're all good. Everybody, can't we just get along? You know, it's it's all fine and and everything is going to be okay. And they're giving their, their people this false sense of security. Instead of telling them what they really need to hear. Because God's evaluation of things is very different. And that's why we read there in the middle of verse 14, where God says that my people have a serious wound. But the prophets and the priests are treating it like it's nothing. You know, sin is a serious wound. The the people are dying because of their rebellion against God. Sin is killing them. They've got this serious wound. and, And the prophets and the priests are treating it like it's nothing. I mean, to use a modern equivalent, it, it would be like a, a soldier who loses a leg from an IED. And, in, and instead of somebody quickly putting a tourniquet on and rushing them to a, a combat hospital, somebody just gives them an aspirin and says, it's no big deal, it's, you're going to be fine. This is, this is the analogy that God is making here in Old Testament terms. So we need to kind of bring it up to date to realize the seriousness of what's happening here. There's a serious condition, and the prophets and priests are looking at them like, it's not, it's not that big a deal. Don't, don't worry, it's not that big a deal. It is a big deal. And what concerns me is that I think this problem still plagues some, if not many, churches today. There's a lot of feel-good gospel out there. Pastors who are telling their congregations what the people want to hear instead of what the people need to hear. And what we all need to hear is that we all have a serious wound called sin. And we all need a trauma center now. And the only physician who can save us is Jesus. That's the truth. That's what we all need. And we must take sin seriously, and it begins with our own hearts. The idea, and this is a common notion, it's common for people today to incorrectly think that the evil of mankind can be solved by the good of mankind. Let me, let me tell you something from a biblical perspective of life. Evil in this world will only be held at bay as long as bad people exercise some form of self-restraint. But the moment they decide no longer to be restrained is the moment that literally all hell breaks loose. And that's why we're all wondering from time to time when the next shoe will drop. You know, what school is safe? What church is safe? What synagogue is safe? What college campus is safe? What movie theater is safe? What outdoor concert is safe? What military base is safe? What workplace is safe? We don't know anymore because we're always wondering, when's the next bad person going to be unrestrained and just do what they jolly well want to do? 
And, and listen, this is not an argument. My statement is no reflection at all against guns. The fact of the matter is that if it's not guns, it can be pipe bombs like we've seen this week too, or it can be anthrax, or it can be box cutters. The problem is not what is in someone's hand. The problem is what is in the heart. And it's a heart issue. Mankind is not the solution to mankind's problem. Jesus is. But here's the disconnect for most people. And this is where the teaching gets a little bit what you need to hear, not necessarily what you want to hear. Here's what often becomes the disconnect, however, in a situation like the horrific scene of yesterday and scenes like that. Most people, in reaction to those things, tend to quietly, subconsciously, say to ourselves, I'm not as bad as that guy, because I haven't killed anybody. I'm not as bad as that guy, because I'm not anti-Semitic. I'm not as bad as my coworker, because I don't cheat on my spouse. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I don't get wasted as much as he does. I'm not as bad as my husband, because I don't get as angry. I'm not as bad as my wife because I don't gossip that much. I'm not as bad as my parents because I don't treat my kids the way they treated me. And on and on the list goes. And we end up, whether we recognize it or not, making mental lists of good guys and bad guys. That's the way we see our world. And we almost never almost never put ourselves on the bad guy list. Because the bad guy list are the really bad people. The pimps and prostitutes and rapists and murderers. So we see our world that way. But let me tell you the way God sees our world as reflected in the Bible. There are bad guys, but there's only one good guy. And we are all the bad guys And Jesus is the only good guy who died on a cross for all the bad guys and bad girls in the world to give us a new heart and a new life through faith in him who died on a cross for all the bad guys in the world. That's the answer. And that's the way God sees our world. That's the way God sees us. Now, I know some of you are like, did you just lump me in the list with a bunch of bad people that I don't really think I'm like? I get it. Probably nobody here's murdered anybody. And if you have, don't tell me. I really don't want to know. (laughs) And by the way, killing in the line of duty is different from murder, and the Bible makes a distinguishing difference between the two. But whether or not you might have done, or I may have not done, any of us may have done or not done, the things that we, quote, think are horrible compared to what other people have done, it does not change the fact that all of us stand guilty before a holy God. If you like to think of yourself as a decent, good person, that might be noble, but it's not true. The Bible says in Romans 3.10 that there is none righteous, no, not one. Not a single one of us. David David would write in Psalm 51 verse 5, Surely I was sinful from birth. I was sinful from the time my mother conceived me in the womb. Because he understood we're born with a sin nature. We are a fallen human race, and we have a serious wound that only Jesus, the great physician, can cure. It's called sin. 
We have to all come to grips with this. Mankind is not the solution to mankind's problem. Jesus is. Because it's not just what we do. It's who we are. And who we are, like it or not, is sinful. Because it's about the heart. It's always about the heart. You know, the Jews in Jesus' day placed strong emphasis on the external. So they were more about religious rituals and ceremonial cleansings and dietary aspects of the law because they all thought it was about the external, that that's what made a person holy. And this is the very thing that Jesus confronts even in his own day because it's not the external, it's the internal. And so in Mark chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, but in Mark chapter 7, Jesus addresses this with the people of his day. He said this, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. They used to think there's certain dietary things you can or cannot eat. Jesus says, no, no, listen, what goes in a man doesn't make him unclean because it just goes in him, in his stomach, and out his body. But he adds in verse 21, verse 20 and 21, what comes out of a man is what makes one unclean. And then he adds the list. He says, for from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. And he says, all these evils come from the inside and make a man, quote, unclean. In other words, what he was saying is, where do you think evil behavior comes from? It comes from an evil heart. Things begin, they're germinating in the heart. This is part of the reason why Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, the, largest, the longest recorded sermon that Jesus ever delivered, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus addresses, it's not just what you do, It's the heart issues, because we need to understand that we're corrupt to the core. And so Jesus, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, 21, he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now he's quoting the sixth commandment out of the Ten Commandments, and no doubt there were people in the crowd hearing him saying, yeah, true, murder, bad, haven't done it, check the box, good to go. And then Jesus adds... But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which in Aramaic means idiot, basically, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, in the Greek it's moros. We get our English word moron from it. It's it's disparaging someone's heart and character. If you say, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. You know how Jesus kind of raises the bar there just a little bit? He's like, you know what? You may not have killed anybody physically, But if you're killing people with your words, it's wrong. And if you're killing people in your heart, it's wrong. That's how much I'm concerned about the condition of the heart, God says to us. And he goes on in the same sermon to address the seventh commandment. In Matthew 5, 27, he says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. I'm sure there were people in the crowd, some who had and others who said, haven't done that. Check the box, good to go. And then Jesus adds, yeah, but wait, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in in his heart. So you're not off the hook if you haven't actually committed adultery because if you've committed lust in your heart, it's as good to God as a sinful thing. And so it's offensive to him. And so God always brings it down to the heart. It's the heart issue. And when mankind doesn't understand the serious wound, that is to say, that we all are sinful, if we just dismiss it and say, well, compared to other people, I'm a decent, good person, then you will never deal with the thing that separates you from a holy God, which is 
the sinful condition of the human heart. I'd like you to turn your New Testaments, if you would, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. And I'll close with this story. Luke chapter 7. I want to just kind of tie this together so we can understand. It's a very tender scene where Jesus addresses heart issues and sin issues. And so here in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is dining at the home of a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Starts in verse 36. Luke 7, 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with your hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus is at the home of this Pharisee by the name of Simon. A Pharisee was a Jew who was a part of a religious sect. The religious sect of the Pharisees, very strict separatists. They didn't hang out with anybody that they thought was beneath them. They were very legalistic when it came to the letter of the law. They prided themselves in that. They are reclining at dinner. It's typical Middle Eastern style where the table would be low to the ground, you would actually lie on the ground reclining with your feet outstretched away from the table, people around the table like spokes on a wheel. Typically, you'd lean on your left elbow, eat with your right hand. Probably the door is open. It's Middle East, arid climate. They're trying to catch some kind of a cool breeze. And this woman learns that Jesus is there having dinner, and she becomes an uninvited guest. Now, the Bible describes her here in this story as a sinful woman. It's a euphemism. She's a prostitute. She falls at Jesus' feet. She weeps. She's a broken woman. She's coming here because she's broken about her own sinful condition. She knows that Jesus is the only one that can help her. She weeps over him. She's drying his feet with her hair. She pours an alabaster jar of perfume to show her respect and and her love for him. Meanwhile, Simon, the Pharisee, is standing there seeing this scene, and he says to himself, okay, in his mind, 
if this guy was really a prophet, he would really know what kind of woman is touching him. And, you know, basically he wouldn't be letting her touch him. Okay. By the way, please take note from this story. Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus turns immediately to Simon and says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon says, say on, I'm all ears. And Jesus launches into this little parable. There's a money lender. There's two guys that need money. The money lender gives one guy 500 denarii. A denarii in that day was a day's wage. One guy gets about two years' worth of money lent to him. The other guy gets 50 denarii. It's about 10 weeks' worth of pay. Jesus says the money lender cancels the debt of both these guys. They can't repay it. Which one of those borrowers do you think loves the, mar- the money lender more? And Simon says, probably the guy that had a bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, you have judged correctly. Of course, we see, because we have the bird's eye perspective, that what Jesus is trying to teach Simon is the reason why this woman here is broken and weeping and loving Jesus is because she sees her own sin and she sees the need for a Savior. And she knows that Jesus is her only hope. You see, Jesus ends the conversation by saying to her, your sins are forgiven. He says in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. One of the tender things I love about Jesus' ministry is the wonderful ways that he dealt with women. In particular, this woman had been a prostitute. All her life she had been rejected by men. Because the fact of the matter is that there's nothing quite as rejecting as someone who is being used sexually. For the first time in her life, probably, at least in her adult life, she's met a man that doesn't recoil, that loves her, that forgives her. She saw the seriousness of her wound. She knew how much she needed a Savior. And she left there with greater peace than she came with. That's why he said, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Guaranteed, she left there with greater peace than what she came with. But Simon, on the other hand, just stood there and didn't get any benefit from it except a good lesson from Jesus. You have two people in this story, the woman who's the prostitute, the man who's the religious Pharisee. Only one left with greater peace. Simon had a knack for seeing the sins of other people, but not so much the sin of his own heart. And therefore, he didn't really see the need for a savior. She, on the other hand, saw her sin and knew her need for a savior and humbled herself and received forgiveness and peace. Which one are you in the story? If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, he still forgives and he still offers his peace that you can't find anywhere else and with anyone else. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified freely by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. If you don't understand the seriousness of your wound, you won't understand your need for the great physician to forgive you and to heal you of your sins. But if you do, you'll leave here with greater peace than you came with.
The book of Jeremiah that Pastor Gary has been walking through with you is one of prophecy. It's God's words to a nation that was facing the consequences of their actions. It's a picture of the future, but also a raw and honest look at the present situation. Jeremiah doesn't hide his emotions. And as you continue studying, you'll see his passion for his fellow Israelites and his deep desire that they turn back to God. We hope you'll tune in next time to continue studying this fascinating book with us here on Cornerstone Connection. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can listen again online at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We have a mobile app as well, allowing you to take all of Pastor Gary's messages with you on the go. Find a link to download on our website or search for Cornerstone Chapel in your app store. What a great way to fill your day with truth from God's Word wherever you are. Do you live in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible with Pastor Gary. Our services are at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. on Sundays, and child care is available. So bring your family. You'll find all the information you need about the church on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have for today in our study of the book of Jeremiah. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to join us again for Cornerstone Connection. Cornerstone Connection.